0: So this is lesson 75 in the study of Matthew, and we're really closing in on the end of this study. During the festivals, we still have chapters 24 and 25 to go through, uh, because they're about the end of days, and, and the festivals are about the end of days, so we're going through those chapters then. But remember a few weeks ago, I said I wasn't going to spend a lot of time on the crucifixion and the death of Messiah, and I'm not going to do that, but today I do want to look at some of the words that he spoke on the day of his death, And I want to look a little bit at the immediate result of his death. You know, at the picnic, I was speaking to someone who had been at the Highland Fest and said that they were confronted by someone who, in speaking of the death of Messiah, said something to the effect, so you're trying to tell me that God died? How can God die? Well, we spent most of the book of Matthew hearing and seeing what Matthew wanted us to see and hear And that was that the Messiah was the Son of God, that he's deity, that he was worshipped and is to be worshipped. And now in chapter 27, we're struck, almost slapped in the face with the humanity of Yeshua, Yes, he is deity. Yes, he is the son of the living God, as Peter declared. And yes, he is one with the Father. And yes, so much so that he was with the Father at creation. He was the co-creator of man in this marvelous earth that we live on. And yes, have we seen in chapter 26, he's still fully man as well. And really, it's a mystery that we're not able to grasp. It's something that we accept by faith. In what is written and by the touch of the Holy Spirit in our lives that confirms it to us. You know, when I'm confronted by someone like that, I just remain silent. Because I know there's no arguing. I have no explanation. I have no proof except that what I have experienced and know to be true from his word, my testimony. There's no proof for what I believe. And if there were, I wouldn't have to accept it by faith. I'd have the proof to stand on. If you could prove with words that the Bible, and the Bible with concrete facts that Yeshua died for the sins of man, then it wouldn't take faith. If you could explain with evidence that he was not only fully man, but also one who by and through all things were created, there would be no need for faith. Concrete evidence is the opposite of faith. Faith is confidence in what is unseen, and evidence and proof are what is seen, not what is unseen. And yes, the Spirit of God uses our testimony and His Word to convict people. But make no mistake, it's by His Spirit that we come to faith, that we're able to believe this amazing plan of God. A fool can look at creation and he can say it's from slime and random selection. But because of God's word and the touch of his spirit, I see Yeshua in the creation. I see his hand everywhere. I see his recreative power in your lives and my life as well. It can't be explained. There's no proof except the word of God. No historical data to stand on. We have the touch of God in our lives and this marvelous account of a few men who died telling us of the Messiah Yeshua. We have our testimonies of what the love of Messiah has done for us. But I'm going to tell you something. Scoffers will just scoff at that as well. They'll say, oh, well, that's just this or that's just that, and it really wasn't God. So how can Yeshua both be the Son of God and man as well? Well, if it were a matter of being able to prove it, then Dr. Michael Brown in his five-volume series Answering Jewish Objections to Jesus and his many debates with Shmuel Botak would have settled the matter. And the Jewish people all would have come to know the Messiah by now. But he couldn't, and neither can you. You see, it's the Spirit of God in the fullness of time, who opens the doors of the heart for Messiah to be believed and accepted. And we are here to tell of his love, and, but we're not here to argue with scoffers. So, beloved, when you, when you hear something like that, don't throw your pearls at swine. It wears you out for the real battle and the real victories. Just never mind that person. Well, Yeshua has shown us his deity, and Matthew has shown us his deity in this letter. But here in chapter 27, the humanity of Yeshua is never more evident than in the text we're going to read today. But if you look closely in the text, his deity is there as well. So let's read. Let's begin with uh, Matthew chapter 26 and verse 45. From the sixth hour until the ninth hour, darkness came over the land. About the ninth hour, Yeshua cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, he's calling for Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge and filled it with wine vinegar and put it on a stick and offered it to Yeshua to drink And the rest said, now leave him alone and see if Elijah comes to save him. Now the explanations for Eli, Eli, Lama Sabachthani are many. And many of them are just plain ridiculous as the bystanders who thought he was calling on Elijah. You know, someone once came to me with an article that they got off the internet, of course, that said, well, if you read the Aramaic, it really doesn't mean, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Well, that's ridiculous. Because it's a transliteration of the Aramaic in Mark. And here in Matthew, it's, it's a combination of the Hebrew and the Aramaic. But in either case, it is exactly what it means. You see, Yeshua is quoting Psalm 22. Matthew has him saying, Eli, Eli. And Mark has him saying, Elohi, Elohi in Aramaic. And if we look at the response of those present, we can certainly make a case for that he said the Hebrew, Eli, Eli. Because you can imagine a man in the throes of death on a stake struggling for air, and as he's suffocating, you can imagine him saying, Eli, and then gasping afterward, Eliah, where it would sound like Elijah. With that, one might think that he was calling to Elijah with a gasp after The words, of course, mean, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Think about it for a moment. What a lonely place for Yeshua on this day. This is being forsaken here. This is one of being forsaken and dying alone. The disciples have been scattered and they've forsaken him, just as he prophesied. The crowds of people who were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David a few days earlier, are nowhere to be seen. Most don't even know he's here. They're at home preparing for Passover. But what must have been the hardest thing for him are reflected in the words that he spoke. Yeshua, with the Father at creation, Yeshua in his ministry who spoke the very words of the Father. And when he cried out to the Father, his words were heard on behalf of others to the point of raising the dead. Feeding multitudes. His words were heard. But now at this moment of paying the price for the sins of the elect. This moment of taking on the payment of the sins of the elect. The judge of all. Elohim. God. The judge. Has turned his back. And allowed the price to be paid. The one who spoke to him as father is now silent. And he cries out to the judge, as in the words of the psalmist David, he says, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken you? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from the words of my groaning? Separated for the first time. Can you imagine the loneliness? No, you can't imagine. There's no way for us to imagine. Just like we can't imagine the relationship he had. He speaks the first line of the psalm, but we know the whole psalm was in his heart and in his mind. And as he spoke it, it was then in the minds and the hearts of those who were standing there who knew the psalm. With his humanity on full display, he's crying. Let's read a bit more of the psalm. If we go down to verse 10, it says, From birth I was cast upon you. From my mother's womb you have been my God. Do not be far from me. For trouble is near, there's no one to help. Many bulls surround me, strong bulls of Bashan encircle me, roaring lions staring at their prey. Open their mouths wide against me, I'm poured out like water, all my bones are out of joint. My heart is turned to wax, it's melted away within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs have surrounded me, a band of evil men encircled me. They pierced my hands and my feet, I can count on my bones." People stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them. They cast lots for my clothing. But you, O oh Lord, be not far off. Will oh, my strength, come quickly to help me. Deliver, me f- deliver my life from this sword. My precious life from the power of the dogs. Rescue me from the mouth of lions. Save me from the horns of the wild ox. Yeshua, alone and near death, looks down and he sees them dividing his garments, his tongue, barely able to utter the words, his strength dried up, bones out of joint, and he cries out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Implying, why are you so far from me? And his cries are for our benefit as well. He sees the psalm of his father David being fulfilled below him and he speaks the words so that the people below would remember David's prophecy and believe. And so that we would read those words one day and read the account of his death and believe. And then once more he cries out, as recorded in Matthew, verse 50, it says, and when Yeshua cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. And Matthew tells us he cried out and gave up his spirit, but he doesn't tell us what he said. John tells us what he said. In, in chapter 19, verse 30, he says, it is finished. It is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. And so, Yeshua cries out, it's finished. And we should all be familiar with the root word. It comes from the word telos. It means complete, as in planned, as in reaching a goal. Yeshua, realizing the suffering is over, and that he's done what the Father has sent him to do, that he had accomplished all that was given him to do, says, it's complete. Not just that though, if we go back to his words above, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That loneliness is over too, that separation from the one who had never been separated before is over as well. The debt has been paid, the separation is complete. And next we read this in verse 51. It says, At that moment the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and rocks split. You know, you sure hear a lot of interpretations for some of these verses in the Bible, right? Many and varied are the interpretation of this verse. First there are those who say the curtain was the curtain that separated the holy place from the outer courtyards. And then there are those who say that the curtain was the one that separated the holy of holies from the holy place. Well, you know, if it was the one that separated the holy of holies, you have, you have to ask yourself, well, who told them? Because the disciples would not have had access to that area. Nobody had access to that area except the priests. Of course, it could have been the Spirit of God that revealed it to them, but why would the Spirit of God be so specific about top to bottom? from top to bottom. Think about it. Well, the interpretations I said are varied here, but there are those who say that this indicated that God was finished with the temple, the destruction was sealed. But you think about it, I can't really buy that because Yeshua already prophesied the destruction. Others say that the tearing of the veil symbolized the end of the sacrificial system, that the sin offering had once and for all been offered, there was no longer a need for the offerings. And that's almost as ridiculous because if you feel and you say that, if you feel that that's what it means, then you're actually seeing there are two ways of salvation. There were first the animals that took away sins and cleansed sinners. That would be the first way. But how can that be when Hebrews says the blood of goats and bulls never took away sin? So they never took away sin. So Yeshua can't be the replacement for that. He's just the one that they foreshadowed. How could Messiah replace the sin offering as atonement when the sin offering never atoned? Figure that one out. Well, it's not hard to see why that thought has a few holes in it that the sin offering never took away because the sin offerings never took away sin. But they were always just a shadow of the one who would. And the Hebrews, book of Hebrews makes it really clear and When you couple that with Jeremiah 33, which says, The Lord is our righteousness, for this is what the Lord says. David will never fail to have a man sit on the throne before me, or sit on the throne of the house of Israel, nor will the priests who are the Levites ever fail to have a man stand before me, continually offering burnt offerings, grain offerings, and to present sacrifices. You see, when the temple service will resume, the offerings are going to resume. So that interpretation is really a reach as well. Then there are those who say that the veil of the Holy of Holies was rent and so that we now have free access to the Father. And we can go before him right into the Holy of Holies. To that I say, not so fast. Because if you look at the history of Israel, no one, save the high priest, ever made it into the Holy of Holies. And then only one day, The book of Hebrews tells us this. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Yeshua, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is his body. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, having our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. The book of Hebrews said we can enter the holy place. That would lend credibility to the curtain between the holy place and the outer courts. The holy of holies is the place where the high priest could enter. And if we were able to go in there boldly, we wouldn't need have a need for a high priest anymore or a mediator, would we? the shadow that God left us of a high priest going before the Father and making a case for the people. That of the high priest and mediator of the covenant entering the Holy of Holies. And if that which people say were the case, there would be no no need for a mediator or a high priest any longer. So what does it mean? Why do the three synoptic gospel writers all deem it so important to to include this? And not only that, from top to bottom. Well, I think we have our answer if we go back to the words of Yeshua, the words we began with, the words of David, which said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And why are you so far from saving me? So far from the words of my groaning. Could it be? That the judge of the earth, the one whose temple we're speaking of, finally spoke. And the comment wasn't on the temple Lord's destruction. It wasn't permission to come into his presence. But it was rending the temple curtain as a high priest would render his garments at hearing blasphemy. Or a mourner would rend his garments at the death of his son. I believe both blasphemy by definition is this evil speaking especially against God listen to the words that were spoken that day chapter 27 verse 41 in the same way the priests chief priests the teachers of the law and the elders mocked him say he saved others they said but can't he save himself the king of Israel let him come down from the cross and we will believe him he trusts in God let God rescue him Now if he wants him, for he said, I am the son of God. And then in verse 47 it says, when some of those standing there heard this, they said he's calling on Elijah. Immediately one of them got a sponge and filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a stick and offered it to Yeshua to drink. The rest said, now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. The Lord speaks at hearing the blasphemy against his son by tearing the curtain from top to bottom as one would tear his garments He mourns at the death of his son at the hands of wicked men by tearing the temple of the curtain top to bottom as one would tear his garments. Next we come to some verses that many would like to forget. The tombs were broken open and the bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life and they came out of the tombs and after Yeshua's resurrection they went to the holy city and appeared to many people. Now, the reason they'd like to forget this is that this is the only place where this is recorded. This is the only place this is recorded. No other gospel records this. And if the, think about it. If the tombs were opened and the dead were raised and they went to the holy city and appeared to many, why don't you see something like this in the account of Josephus? This would be a major event. Right? Think of it. The people would think, Wow, Ezekiel 37 is coming to be. The bones of men suddenly becoming covered with flesh again. They rose out of their small ossuaries and assembled and became covered with flesh. Yet nowhere is it recorded an event like this. Not in the Talmud, not in Josephus, nowhere except Matthew. And so some say it was added. Well, you know that I accept the word of God, the whole word of God, as it's written, as it was handed to us. The complete Bible. I accept every word. I refuse to begin to take this out and that out because it's hard to explain. But I do have to ask myself, why would this be here? Why nowhere else? Well, first let me say, there's another who was resurrected that day or a few days later. And he appeared to many. And you don't see his resurrection recorded anywhere else. Not in the Talmud. There's another who rose to life. There's no concrete proof of that either. His name is Yeshua. And you have to accept by faith that he rose. And he now sits at the right hand of God. That he's now once again united with the Father. So not having testimony in the historical documents of the day means nothing to me. And so why is this not recorded? Well... I think we get our answer if we look at a, at a parable that Luke records for us. Luke chapter 16, it says, There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At, the gate, at his gate was a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. And the time came when a beggar died, and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. And the rich man also died and was buried." In hell, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. And he called him, Father Abraham, have pity on me. Send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I'm in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember in your lifetime you received good things while Lazarus received bad things. Now he is comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us, You can see this great chasm is fixed so that those who want to go from here to there cannot and anyone who wants to cross over from there to us cannot. And he answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my father's house for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not come to this place of torment. And Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. And he said, if they didn't listen to Moses and the prophet, they won't be convinced if someone is raised from the dead. Yeshua says, if they didn't listen to Moses and the prophets, they're not going to be convinced by someone rising from the dead. How much more if they didn't listen to the words of the one Moses and the prophet spoke of? I believe it's recorded here and nowhere else because they would not have listened or believed anyway. Just like the friend I told you at the Highland Fest. You see a scoffer scoff, then hold your tongue. Don't throw your pearls at swine. And the reason is simple. The Father and Yeshua are the same. They know the hearts of men. I believe that we don't see it recorded because these righteous men didn't reveal themselves to scoffers. But well, what does it mean for us? Think about it. What does this mean for us? Why is this here for we believers? Those who believe the words of this book. Every word of the book. Well, I think Shaul tells us in chapter 8 of Romans in verse 22. He says, we know that the whole creation has been in groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit grown inwardly as we Eagerly await our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies, for this is, for in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait patiently. And the point I wanted you to see is that the whole creation was waiting, groaning as if it were for this moment. Those we read of in Yeshua's parable. Lazarus, Abraham, waiting for this moment. A moment in time with consequences in eternity. A moment in time with consequences for those whose time had come and gone. Once this offering had been made, there was nothing left to do. What did Yeshua say? It's complete. The goal is reached. It's finished. You see, the resurrection began What do you suppose happened to those righteous men who were resurrected? Do you suppose they went back to the grave and went back to sleep, as some would have you think? The price has been paid. I'll tell you the next time you're going to see those people that appeared. Because Jude tells us. See, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone, to convict the ungodly of all their ungodly acts and all they have done in an ungodly way and all the harsh words ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These men are grumblers and fault finders. Scoffers, I should add. They follow their own evil desires. They boast about themselves and flatter others on their, of their own advantage. Why would anyone have to wait to be with the Father? The price is paid. The work complete. It's finished. And now, to be absent from here is to be present with the Lord. Amen?